Hi, this is Robert Cunningham, pastor of Preaching and Vision at Tate's Creek Presbyterian Church. We want to thank you for listening to this resource, and we hope and pray it will be a blessing to you. One quick word, though, before you listen. While we are honored to be a resource for you, we do want you to know that an online sermon is no substitute for congregational life. It's a good supplement, but what you need more than anything else is membership and involvement in a local church. If you are not a member of TCPC, I want you to know that listening to your pastor is far more valuable than listening to this. If you are a member of TCPC, I want you to know that joining us in worship on Sunday is far more valuable than listening online. So to everyone, we are encouraged that you have sought us out, but much more encouraging would be for you to seek out a local church community. That said, thanks for listening, and may God now bless you as you do. A few sermons ago, if you were with us, you'll remember I talked a little bit about Tigger and Eeyore from the world of Winnie the Pooh. If you will indulge me this morning, I want to introduce things by returning again to that world. I was reading, uh, I was reading a Winnie the Pooh book with Henry recently, and the story begins with Pooh waking up, and per usual, his tummy is growling and crying out for the ever-elusive jar of honey that he cannot find. All the jars in his home are empty, and so uh, the story turns into this uh, ravenous pursuit of Pooh trying to find his jar of honey and unable to do so. Well, alongside that story of Pooh's hunger um, is another problem. He and his pals are convinced that a monster has invaded the normally safe confines of the 100-acre woods, and they're trying to catch this monster. Well, Piglet has a brilliant idea. Let's dig a pit. Let's put a blanket over the pit. Let's put an empty jar of honey in the middle of the blanket, and the monster, of course, will see the jar of honey, go for it, fall, and get trapped into the pit. Now, Piglet tells Pooh, Pooh, this is a trap. That jar on that blanket is empty. Soon thereafter, Pooh's tummy starts growling. Helplessly compelled by his hunger, the silly bear goes to the empty jar, falls into the pit, captured by the trap. Oh, bother, says Pooh. Pooh knew the jar was empty, but apparently his tummy is stronger than his knowledge, and so is yours. Contrary to popular belief, we are controlled far more by our hunger than our knowledge. And this morning's beatitude is a word to this gut-level hunger inside of all of us. Like Pooh, we wake up every day seeking to satisfy this hunger. And tragically, like Pooh, this search often ends with empty promises and perhaps even an imprisoned trap of addiction in your life. Jesus has a word to us, hungry and thirsty people this morning. And it's going to follow the same outline I've been using each week with these Beatitudes. We're going to look at the kingdom posture and the kingdom promise. Here's the posture. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now this Beatitude is a bit of a turning point in the Beatitudes as a whole. 
It's a bit confusing um, how the Beatitudes are structured. Let me do my best to explain it to you. If I confuse you, that's okay. It's not that big of a deal for the sermon itself, but it's important to note. There are eight Beatitudes. This one's the fourth one and is meant to stand as the center of the Beatitude discourse. The final one, blessed are those persecuted, is meant to be the conclusion. So the fourth is the central message of the Beatitude. The eighth is the central response to the Beatitudes. And then you have one through three and five through seven, which correlate to one another in that same order. So one, blessed are the poor in spirit, relates to five. Blessed are those, blessed are the merciful, meaning the poor in spirit will be merciful. Two correlates with six. Those who mourn will be pure in heart. Three with seven. The meek will be peacemakers. And then dividing those correlations is our beatitude this morning because it is the central overarching call of the kingdom of God that encompasses all of these. If you do this, all the others fall into place. And then standing at the end is the response. If we live out the beatitudes this is what's going to happen, namely persecution. Again, if that confused you, and by judging with your faces right now, I did. Um, It's no big deal. I'm just trying to point out the prominence, the significance of our beatitude this morning in particular. On a most foundational level, this is what it means to be a member of God's kingdom. We hunger and we thirst for righteousness. Now, again, the language Jesus invokes here is intentional and tremendously important. He says, those who hunger and thirst. And in this way, Jesus is petitioning our longings, not our minds, which we can know a lot about everything there is to know about righteousness and yet not produce righteousness itself. He's not even petitioning our actions, which by sheer grit, we can produce what appears to be righteousness, but in fact can be self-righteousness. Instead, Jesus is speaking to that which is sure to yield righteousness in its truest form, a longing, a yearning, a pining after righteousness itself. Hunger and thirst, our scriptures go to imagery to help us conceptualize what is going on inside of us all right now. And what is going on are hunger pains of the soul. Don't misinterpret what Jesus is saying here. He's not asking us to create hunger, and thirst. He's assuming we are hungry and we are thirsty. And these primal desires, which are always there, need to be redirected to their truest sustenance, which is righteousness. So he's not saying get hungry and thirsty. He's assuming you are hungry and thirsty, and indeed you are. What are we, if not wanderers, driven about by longings we desperately seek to satisfy? And yet this soul satisfaction we seek seems as elusive as Pooh's jars of honey. We are profoundly frustrated searchers. And there's a reason why. One of the consequences of the fall is that we, as Augustine likes to say, are now full of misplaced desires and disordered longings. What he means by that is now we place our hope of satisfaction upon those things which cannot ultimately satisfy This is the essence of idolatry. Idolatry is worshiping something that is not worthy of your worship. Good things, worthy of your enjoyment, just not your worship. Well, when you worship something, when you make something your idol, what are you asking of it? You are asking it to satisfy you. 
And so in this way, our idols are not just counterfeit gods, as Tim Keller likes to say. They are counterfeit meals. Things like money, career, family, sex, power, beauty, achievement, entertainment. I could go on and on and on with the buffet of options our world offers us. We idolatrously feast on these hoping to satisfy our hunger, but find them to be empty banquets of air. Broken cisterns that can hold no water, as Jeremiah told us in our Old Testament reading. And so, the hunger and the thirst only deepen. This is our life, friends. It is a cursed life, not a blessed life. A cursed cycle of hunger and thirst. 1960s, in our culture's history, was known as the decade of liberation that birthed both the sexual and drug revolutions. And of course, this is also when rock and roll went mainstream as the musical expression of this supposed liberation. And Rolling Stones released a song that would be labeled the theme song of the 60s by the, same, the magazine of the same name, the Rolling Stones magazines. And, and the, the lead singer Mick Jagger said this about that song, quote, that it captured the spirit of liberation that we were all experiencing. Well, I want to read for you the lyrics of the song that captured the spirit of liberation. It will not take a genius to see the irony. I can't get no satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction. Because I try and I try and I try and I try. I can't get no, I can't get no, I can't get no, I can't get no, I can't get no satisfaction, no satisfaction, no satisfaction, no satisfaction. truer song has never been written. The song of liberation turns into a song of frustration. And this is the story of our idolatrous lives. Why, says the prophet Isaiah to us, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. But what is this good and rich food the prophet begs us to eat? Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus is going to talk a lot about righteousness in the Sermon on the Mount, so let me make sure we know what it means. Don't overcomplicate the word. Righteousness is when things are right, right? Righteousness. When things are as they ought to be. I don't think I have to convince you that things are not as they ought to be. Our existence is unright, unrighteousness. I am unrighteous, our world is unrighteous, and Jesus says, blessed are those who long for things to be right again. Now that longing begins individually, it begins with me, it begins with you. You and I are not as we ought to be. And Jesus is saying, blessed are those who long to be and do what they ought to be and do. Well, who gets to determine what we ought to be and do? Our creator. God gets to define what is right, what is righteous. So renounce the original lie of the garden that says happiness is found in deciding what we think is right rather than what God says is right. That is a lie. Happiness, pleasure, contentment, peace, these are found in obedience to God. May I read for you just a sampling of the Psalms? And I want you to notice how much the language of desire, pleasure, and satisfaction is used to describe the law of God, which we tend to conceptualize as a killjoy. Listen to how the psalmist defines the law. 
The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Oh, Lord, your law is my delight. The law of the Lord is to be desired more than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than honey, the drippings of the honeycomb. Christians tend to think that obeying God's law is to deny pleasure out of duty to God when the opposite is true. Obedience is indulgence. Friends, it's the holy who are happy. And I urge you to find out for yourself. There's more to righteousness here, though. When the Bible speaks of righteousness, it has both individual and social implications. Now, in our tradition, we tend to only think individually. Righteousness is my personal piety, my obedience to the law, as we just said. But righteousness also speaks to our world. Jesus is not just saying, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for personal righteousness. He is saying, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for a righteous world. Blessed are those who long to see wrongs made right, brokenness healed, injustice overturned, divisions reconciled. Blessed are the ones fixing the world. It's counterintuitive to our selfish world, but happiness is found not in selfish pursuits to better my life, but in selfless service to better the world. Again, counterintuitive but proven true every time. I guarantee your happiest moments are not found in your selfishness, but your selflessness. So, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for a righteous life and a righteous world. Now, let's turn to the second half of our verse and see what is waiting those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The kingdom promise. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This promise doesn't seem as exhilarating to us after spending the past few weeks talking about the fact that we're going to get to inherit heaven and earth one day, rule and reign. But we fail to appreciate just how ravenous our longings truly are. It's what you're doing every day of your life. Pascal says that our will never takes a step that is not in the direction of our own satisfaction. He says this is the motive of every action of every man. And he's right. And so what Jesus is promising here is that what you seek with every waking moment of your life, you shall finally have. That is, if what you seek is righteousness. Let me be very honest with everyone here and listening online because I, wanna, I owe that to you. The reward of heaven is righteousness. If righteousness is what you seek, then you shall be satisfied. But if you stick to the pursuit of your vain idols, hoping against hope that money, fame, power, illicit pleasure, whatever it is for you, hoping against hope that eventually this thing will yield what it never has, namely your satisfaction, if you continue that pursuit, then in the end, your quest is a destiny of unsatisfaction. God will give you to the hell of your own choosing, lost in eternal unsatisfaction where you will hunger and thirst forevermore. But it doesn't have to be. What you long for is right here for the taking. 
Jesus is here to confront your hungry and thirsty soul with a better offer. Surely, you must know by now that your idol cannot satisfy. You are like Winnie the Pooh, pursuing that which you know is empty and finding yourself in a trap of your own making. And when Pooh lands in that pit, Piglet comes to the edge, peers down at his friend, and says, Pooh, you knew the jar was empty. And Pooh's response perfectly describes the condition of so many. My mind believed you, but my tummy had to see for itself. Here's what I think. You know your pursuits cannot satisfy. You know that idol is an empty promise, but your tummy had to see for itself. Well, you've seen. You've seen what it has done to you in your life. Will you not now repent? It's not too late. There is a way out of this pit of unsatisfaction. Jesus can pull you out of that pit. I think your mind knows he's better. And in this beatitude, Jesus is saying to you, why not let your tummy see for itself? When Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, he is ultimately saying, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for me. Because he is our hope of righteousness. He can and will make us and our world righteous again. And so those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are those who hunger and thirst for Jesus. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Elsewhere he says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. To the woman at the well seeking desperately to find satisfaction in the approval and affection and attention and love of man after man after man, he interrupts her and says, if you just drink the water I give you, you will never thirst again. Do you see? This evocative hunger and thirst imagery is everywhere in the ministry of Jesus. And not just in his ministry, but in his death. On the cross, Jesus cries out, I thirst. And what did he receive? It says a jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus cries out in thirst, he is given vinegar and dies a thirsty death. These are the costs of unrighteousness. Jesus died thirsty that we who deserve to be handed over to an eternal destiny of maddening dissatisfaction will instead inherit an eternal destiny where we will hunger and thirst no more. He did not just die to forgive you. He died to satisfy you. And he will satisfy us with himself. Turn with me quickly to page nine of your order of worship. I want to point something out about a closing hymn. There's a Awesome wordplay here that's easy to miss, but I think is brilliant. The hymn is Christ the Sure and Steady Anchor, and it's, it's all about the surety of Jesus through every stage of our salvation. Again and again, we're going to sing the refrain, Christ the Sure and Steady Anchor. But notice how it ends. The final stanza is that final moment. Christ the Sure and Steady Anchor as we face the wave of death. When these trials give way to glory as we draw our final breath. We will cross that great horizon, clouds behind and life secure, and the calm will be the better for the storms that we endure. So beautiful. But then the next line, there's this subtle change from Christ the shore of our salvation to Christ the shore of our salvation. Why'd they do that? 
What's that mean? The one who makes our salvation sure is also the actual sure, the destiny, the end of our journey, the end of our quest, the end of our salvation. Our journey of hunger and thirst will finally come to an end in Jesus. I want to read for you that end. Revelation 22 tells us what it's going to look like. Jesus is on his throne. And from his throne is a river of living water with Jesus as its source. It says, bright as crystal flowing through the middle of heaven city. And on each side of that river are trees of life, perpetually sprouting fruit for all to eat. And it says that fruit is for the healing of the nations. Remember, hunger and thirst for righteousness is not just for you to be right, but for the world to be right. And this river feeds the trees that will heal the world. And then there is this announcement in heaven. The Spirit, the same Spirit inside you right now, stirring up that hunger and thirst for righteousness, that Spirit will issue His final call. The Spirit declares, Come, let the one who is thirsty come. Let one who desires take the water of life without price. And the throng of thirsty saints will come to the water. You're welcome to kneel by the river's edge for a drink. I'm planning on jumping in. And we will drink down Jesus' living water of satisfaction without price. And don't misinterpret without price. It's without price to us, but not Jesus. What is freely offered to us came at an ultimate cost to him, but a cost he was willing to embrace to make good on this promise in our verse that the hungry and the thirsty will be satisfied. Our Savior cried out, I thirst, so that in the end, those words will never be heard again. Let me pray. And so we lift to you our hungry souls and beg that you would fill us now. We await the fullness. We rejoice that moment when we will drink of living water and eat from the tree of life. But until then, you give us this. And so feed us, Lord, as you promise to do through your sacrament. In Jesus' name, amen.